come Holy Spirit, fill each and every one of us as your word is brought forth this morning, and that no matter where each and every one of us are on our journeys, may you meet us in it, encourage us in it, challenge us in it, and transform us in and through it. For we ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. It's in 1963, MIT meteorologist Edward Lawrence uh, discovered a theory that a tiny flapping of a butterfly's wings in Brazil, theoretically, the wind currents would be sufficient enough to eventually cause a tornado in Texas. It became to be known as the butterfly effect. The theory began with a computer program that he had designed to forecast weather systems. And he came upon this theory by accident, quite frankly. He sat down on his, at his computer. He had to hurry out of his office for a meeting where instead of entering the number .506127, he rounded, like we all would, to the nearest thousandth, 506 thinking that it would be inconsequential. He was wrong. He came back later in his day and found a radical difference in the simulated weather conditions. What he figured to be a numerical difference to be nothing but a puff of wind using 506 turned out that the result was instead a catastrophic weather event. Hence, the butterfly effect. So he came to a profound, very simple conclusion that a minuscule change in input can bring about macroscopic difference in output. Minuscule difference in input, in minuscule changes in input can make a macroscopic difference in output. And you know, it's same in science, and it's the same in the scripture. Because what we're going to see in Paul's letter to the Roman church today is that truth being played out in our lives. I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 6. If you're visiting with us, you can find it in the back. We're walking through a series in Lent on repentance and the different aspects of repentance. And I know if you're visiting with us for the first time, you're thinking, oh, great, a series on repentance. Um, repentance, we've used Dr. G.I. Packer's definition of repentance for these past four weeks. Repentance is turning from as much as I know of my sin to give as much as I know of myself to as much as I know of God. And last week, we viewed Jesus' strategy on how in which to do that. We acknowledge it, we attack it, and we kill it, whatever our prevailing thing that's hurting our walk with Christ is. So that's where we were last week. And you know, that's, that's rather negative, you know. Yeah, that wasn't an easy one to hear, much less to preach. But the reality is it's good for each and every one of us to bring to the Lord those things which are barriers in our walk with the Lord. And today we're going to turn it in more of a positive note using Paul's words. Because we're going to look at as much as we know of, of our sin. You know, turning to as much as we know of ourselves. 
You know, and when we look at ourselves, you know, it's interesting. So many of us, we were raised in, in certain strands of Christianity. Some of us were raised in a form of Christianity like I was, was, oh, we called ourselves Christians, but it really didn't have much effect in our lives, really. You know, oh, Jesus didn't mean that thing, or, or whatever it might be in the Christian life. But you don't lie, you don't cheat, you don't steal, and you don't turn, you don't make the Sherman name look bad in the neighborhood. That was gospel, all right? Right? Others were raised in a more legalistic uh, family where you don't drink, you don't smoke, you don't dance, you don't chew, nor do you go with girls who do. All right? And uh, the reality is, most people who were raised up dated girls who smoked, drank, or danced because legalism, you know, tends to drive people away from the truth of the gospel. Those are the two biggest errors. The, the good church and the good Christian family are those who placard the good news of Christ. And we walk in the grace of the gospel, recognizing that Jesus doesn't call us to clean ourselves up. He has cleaned us up in Jesus as we place our trust in him. And so we're going to look at this passage in Romans 6 and see how we might learn how we can get on the path of transformation together in the repentant life. So let's look at this, all right? First of all, we're going to jump to uh, Romans 6, 1, where for the first five chapters of Romans, you end up in chapter 5, at the very end, you go, oh, this is a great deal, you know? I love to sin, God loves to forgive, Woo! I'm free, you know? You know right? That's what, that's what the reader would naturally think. But what does verse 1 of Romans 6 say? Paul writes, you can read this with me if you have it. What shall we say then? Are we to continue to sin that grace may abound? By no means. All right. So Paul makes a real clear statement that it isn't, we just, we go, if we go on sinning, we're damaging the gospel in the community and our witness to the community. He starts that chapter with that thought. And so, jump down to verse 13 and 14, because this is a, that's where we're going to park today. We're just going to park on 13 and 14, and learn by some of the implications, as well as the explicit statements that Paul says, how we can live the transformed life. Paul writes, Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. The first thing Paul teaches us, if we're going to get on this transformed path, first thing we need to recognize is that we present all of ourselves. Notice what he says. Verse 13, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. You would think that he immediately flips that around and says, but rather... Present your members to righteousness. But that's not what he said. What does he say? He says, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God. We present ourselves to the God who is. And this Greek word present could also be translated exhibit. You know, like if you went to the science fair. And when you're in elementary or middle school or high school, and you had to create an exhibit, and you had to present your exhibit to the judges, Paul is saying, we, as 
followers of Jesus present ourselves to God each and every day, each and every hour of each and every day. In other words, to put it in 21st century language, this means that we're all in. There's no such thing as a halfway Christian. And you know, I use this illustration often because it's so helpful for us. If someone were to ask you, are you not a Christian, a Christian, or a born-again Christian, what would you say? Think about it for a second. Most of us jump to, well, we don't want to be like those radical people out there. We just call ourselves a Christian, right? Well, let's, let's turn this in another way. If you were to ask a woman, are you not pregnant, semi-pregnant, or are you pregnant, what are you? You see, in God's kingdom, born again is not so much what the person does at who they are in Christ. God has come and warmed our heart, the, the, the doctrine's regeneration. And then, because he's done that amazing, mysterious work in us, we respond to the gospel. Not perfectly. We just throw himself at the mercy of the Lord. That's why we sing all throughout Lent, Kyrie eleison. That's Latin for what? Lord, have mercy. Because it's not my merit. It's Jesus' merits upon the cross. All right? So there's no such thing as a halfway Christian. We're either all in or we're not in at all. And Paul is reminding you the reason you do this is because you've been brought from death to life. So that's the first thing. We're all in. You present all of yourself to God. Second thing we, under, we have to understand by implication is that you're presenting all of yourself within your current circumstances. All right? Notice in verse 14, he uses the present sense. You have, uh, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin, alive to God in Christ Jesus, for sin will not have dominion over you. Verse 14, sense. You are not under law but grace. That's the present tense. That's who we are right now. You've been brought from death to life. Therefore, you know, sin doesn't have dominion over you. You're under grace. If you keep placing your trust in what Christ has done and not your own works, you're under grace. It won't have any dominion over you. That's what is our motivating factor, and we do this right now. We don't wait. Because our tendency is to get onto the plane of hesitation, right? I'll, I believe, Lord, but I'm going to hold this back. Whatever area of life it is. And we think, in order to be used of God, I have to get a little more training. I got to go to my Express Your Faith workshop. I got to discover my spiritual gifts. I have to, and that's not the pattern in the Bible. The pattern in the Bible is be faithful right now with what you know, okay? You see it all throughout Scripture. Look at Joseph in Genesis. Joseph was a little too showy with that technicolor dream coat of his and a little arrogant, but he didn't deserve getting beat up by all his brothers, thrown into a pit, sold off in slavery. Well, he got sold off in slavery to Potiphar's house, where he was faithful. Potiphar loved him. So did Potiphar's wife. She hits on him. She claims rape. Me too. And he said, I didn't do it. And he didn't do it. He didn't deserve that. And he got thrown into jail. He was still faithful to God. Even in jail. 
Other guys got out of jail. They said, please remember me when you go to the king. They didn't remember him. He was faithful to God right then. Why? Because God was going to exalt him to the, the, the whole superintendent of the whole food stores of Egypt one day so that he could rescue his, the whole uh, nation of Israel as Israel went through a drought. Jacob didn't say, I'll just wait for my circumstances to improve to love the Lord and obey and walk in his truth. We're to do the same. How about the disciple John? He was a teenager. He ministered powerfully throughout all the churches of Asia Minor back in the day. And at the age of 80-ish, he got thrown into jail by being exiled to the island of Patmos. Now, he could do what a lot of seniors do, is retreat to Patmos, Florida, and play shuffleboard. <laughs> what is up with shuffleboard? You know? Shoot me. Just shoot me. I don't want to play shuffleboard. <laughs> My point in sharing that with you, he was open and available to the Lord. And if you turn to the very back of your Bible, you will see the revelation of Jesus Christ to John. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, he writes. And this phenomenal, mysterious vision for the next 21 chapters, he gives, has encouraged God's people ever since. He didn't say, I'm just going to wait to get off this island. I'm 80, I just know I'm going to get off this island. No, he was faithful right then. And so my friends, don't wait to get your masters of divinity. Save your money. All right? Your masters of arts and religion or whatever thing you think you need to do. He doesn't call the gifted. He gifts the called. All right? Three, what we also learn in this passage, he says, uh, in verse 13, he says, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. He's talking about this presentation in all that we do. Not just, okay, I'll clean myself up, I'll wear a tie to church, and then I'll go out and live however I want. We got that in verse 1, right? It's in all that we do. But I know what you're thinking, all right? One of the great blessings of coming to the west shore of Cleveland almost 11 years ago was I was coming to my kind of people. When I, Avon Lake is very much like the city of Fairfax, Virginia back in the 70s when I grew up there. Very much. And so I said, okay, I'm home, man. I get these people, you know? And so I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, okay, he's working towards ministry and getting my life, repenting and all that stuff, and now I'm going to have to do something. I'm going to have to do some more church ministry. That's what you are thinking, many of you, all right? So let's break down our typical day. There's 24 hours in a day, right? All right, 24 hours, I'm going to be generous. You're going to get seven hours sleep. Ha! Right? All right, so that takes you down to 17 hours. Well, you got to exercise and, and do some hygiene. you got to shave. you got to shower. you got to do your hair. you got to do your makeup. So that's another 
uh, what, one and a half hour between all those things. Half hour for exercise, an hour to shave, shower, do all that stuff, get dressed, go to the car. All right. So there you have 15 and a half hours left. The typical American workday now is 10 hours with commute. All right. It just is. So now you're down to five and a half hours. You got to eat. All right. Half hour for breakfast, hour for lunch, hour for dinner and clean up. That's two and a half hours. You have what now? We've got three hours left. All right. Two hours for the family. And if you've got kids, you're running them around to practice and everything else, all their activities that they're doing, right? And that leaves you with one hour for yourself per day. Right? And you're thinking that presenting myself to God and all I do means getting involved in Christian ministry. Now, I will say, getting involved in Christian ministry is a good thing. I highly encourage it. We have needs here. But this isn't what we're talking about. Ministry in the church is just a tiny fragment of your time. What Paul is saying is presenting all of yourself and all your schedule back to the Lord, no matter where you are, where you live, where you work, where you play. We do everything for God's glory. 1 Corinthians 10, 21. Whatever you do, do for the glory of God. I mean, when you really think about it, Jesus' preaching and teaching and healing ministry was three years long. He died approximately at 33. Well, what about the previous 30 years? Were they no good? You know? I mean, you got to figure he started to apprentice in his father's carpentry shop around 12, 13. All right? So from the age of 13, he starts to learn the carpentry trade to the age of 30, so that's next 17 years. So I think the question we have to ask ourselves, while he also cared for his mother, when I think about it, you know, during that time, because we don't know when Joseph died. Now I want to propose to you that he presented himself as much to God as he was in the carpentry shop as he presented himself in his preaching, teaching, and healing ministry. If he didn't present himself to God while he was in the carpentry shop, how would he be a perfect sacrifice for our sin? Right? So my friends, deep breath. We present ourselves to God in the ordinary day of life. All right? You present yourself to God as a full-time mom. You present yourself to God as a businessman, a businesswoman. You present yourself to God as a teacher, all for the glory of God. You present yourself to God wherever you are, all in, in my current circumstances, all right? God is at work around you. We just need to pray to see where he is at work, where we live, work, and play. And we'll talk about how we can make a minuscule step in a little bit. But the reality is, we're all in, in our current circumstances, and all that we do for God's glory. And notice, Paul doesn't say, before you do, clean yourself up. All right? So the last point is, you do this just as you are. All right? Remember, our definition is returning from as much as you know of your sin to give as much as you know of yourself. And we've been learning throughout this series that the Christian life is one where we continually more about God, about our sin, and therefore about ourselves. It was John Calvin who says, if you really want to grow in Christ, you need to know the Lord and know yourself. 
You have to know both. And therefore, in order, when you start to know God, you start to realize, you know, I'm really not all I'm cracked up or who I sleep, think I am. All right? Right? But they always go together. And when you do that, you start to place yourself in a humble position, recognizing your need for him. And when you start to look at your own self and your own heart, you realize, as Jeremiah 19, 7 says, the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can understand it? But David in Psalm 139 continually prays, Oh Lord, search me and know me. Know my heart. You see, that's where we are and that's where we should be and we do this just as we are. It's a journey. You're in the right place this morning, ladies and gentlemen. This isn't the place where we get our acts together in order to be together, to worship the Lord together, to receive communion together. We come just as we are. I'm still grieving Billy Graham being gone. 1995, you know, at the D.C. Convention Center, D.C. Talk had just played. Any, any of you old Christian rock bands, you know, they were awesome, you know. <laughs> they had just played, and then the choir sang. Billy came out, hit a home run, called people to repent and believe in Jesus Christ. Thousands of people started for it, and there came George Beverly Shea singing what? Just as I am. Because that's the message of the gospel. We come just as we are. There's a great line in that hymn. Just as I am, though tossed about, with many a conflict, many a doubt. Fightings within and fears without. O Lamb of God, I come. I come. With all the hassles, with all the struggles of our lives. It's the only way that we can come. And verse 13 reminds us we come because we have been brought from death to life. You were dead. Now, in Christ, you're alive to him. You're seeing things you didn't see before. And if that's not your experience, repent, believe, and come along for the ride. That's what we're about. That's the gospel. I mean... We sang, love divine, all love's excelling. Did you catch the third verse? It was amazing. Charles Wesley, Anglican, all right? <laughs> Finish then thy new creation. Pure and spotless, let us be. Let us see thy great salvation perfectly restored in thee. It's, it's a song all about the new creation that we are in Christ. And so, my friends, what minuscule change is the Lord asking of you this morning? Perhaps you have come to realize you're a halfway Christian, which is not a Christian at all. This is the place to be. Repent and believe with us. Maybe there's that prevailing sin we identified last week, which you're still kind of wrestling with, like I said, welcome to the club. And if you keep reading Romans 6, it's Paul who says, what I want to do, I don't do. And the thing that I don't want to do is the very thing I do, and the truth is not in me. So do not think Paul's got it all together. All right? He doesn't. He's the first one to tell you that. But maybe you've been holding back a little bit in your walk with Jesus. 
and you're on the plains of hesitation. Using the pseudonym William Lawrence, this author named George Cecil said, on the plains of hesitation bleached the bones of countless millions who, at the dawn of decision, sat down to wait, and by waiting, died. Get going. Get off the plane. Jesus did not say, if anyone would call themselves a Christian, let him ignore neighbor need, neighbor's needs, take up your comfort, and follow your dream. He didn't say that. He said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up your cross, and follow me. One of the ways we, we American Christians can make a minuscule change is by looking at this day, Sundays, right? There's no category in this book for the weekend. It's not mentioned. We were the ones who invented it. And you know what people do with Sunday? They turn it into another Saturday. And what do they do? You know, they go to Home Depot, Lowe's, work on house projects, run their kids around to soccer games. Look, my kids played hockey, all right? I know that struggle, all right? But that's why we have three services on Sunday mornings, you know? It all comes down to preparing. What's the highlight of your week, okay? If it's Saturday night, you're going to struggle to celebrate the Lord's Day. And you're going to see when we have our question of the week, it talks about this. This day is meant as a vacation for you. You may not think this sermon is a vacation, but that's tough. Get over it. You know, <laughs> it's a vacation. You come and you're fed by the word. You're fed at the table. And our young people get to do this for the first time today. Isn't it exciting? And we get to we encourage one another in the truths of the gospel. We minister to one another. That's what makes us a church, not the building. Right? Okay? And then we minister to others as God gives us opportunity on the Lord's day. I don't have time during the week for this stuff. Neither do you. Yeah, I, I, I might minister to my coworker. Some of you are doing that. You might minister to your acquaintances at your kid's school. Right? Keep me informed. I will pray for you, but you got to go do it because I can't help you probably do what you do. And we minister where we play throughout the week. And we turn, this is a vacation day. You have 52 extra vacation days a week if you will live this way. You can take a nap this afternoon. I highly encourage it. All right? You can go for a bike ride. You can watch the penguins, you know, or whatever is recreative to you. But we're keeping the Lord front and central in our lives, even as we do those things, okay? You know, why is it on Sundays when the Browns are home, our attendance drops? That's a weird question. <laughs> Call me old-fashioned. I think Jesus Christ ought to be glorified more than the Browns, <laughs> especially after an 0-16 season. <laughs> I, I wish them well. I want them to go to the Super Bowl. They don't get more glory than what God does. Minuscule change brings about macroscopic difference in your life. Ladies and gentlemen, let's get off the planes of hesitation. 
Surrender it all to Jesus. And it'll rock your world. And it might rock others as well for the truth of the gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're thankful that you give us these small, they may seem like insignificant steps. They may feel like just a butterfly's wing, but oh Lord, as that breeze flaps, the mighty wind of the Holy Spirit can blow through us to others. I pray that we would jump all in. And if there be anyone among us here this morning who has never confessed you as Savior and Lord, I pray that this would be the day that that is done. That they would turn and follow you wholehearted devotion. Recognizing that you are God. That we are sinners and we want forgiveness for all of our sins. Lord, we jump all in and we give you our lives to do with as you wish. And we, Lord, for those of us who, who've been on the plains of hesitation, held back a portion of our life, not lived unto you, but unto the world or to ourselves, we repent of that, Lord. And we pray that as we continue to walk with you, that you would do this wonderful work. And I especially pray for our young people who are receiving for the very first time the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, communion. Lord God, bless them and their families immensely as they walk in these truths. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.